I've, uh, it reminded me of uh, when I was uh, in Cappadocia uh, on a prayer mission uh, out in Cappadocia, out there in Turkey. And uh, our guide was talking about the Cappadocian fathers. And he kept talking about this guy, Basil. And I couldn't work out who this guy, Basil, actually was. And then I thought, ah, you mean Basil? Yes, now I know. So there we go. Um, and um, so last week, or yeah, last week, um, Ben was, was talking about uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And after uh, Philip left the Ethiopian, uh, he went on down to uh, the area around Caesarea. And what we, what we read is that 20 years later, uh, Philip and his four daughters uh, play host to Paul. Um, and so um, he's still there in Caesarea, and, uh, or Caesarea, as the case may be. Um, and um, so we, we can perhaps perceive that during the account that we're talking about this morning, that Philip was there in, in Caesarea as well. I'm specifically using the word account rather than story because these are not stories. These are accounts that we are reading in the, in the Bible. These are factual accounts that we're, uh, that we're reading. And um, so that's where we are. So in summary, we're all being called to break down barriers uh, and Acts 10.28 reads, He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man pure, impure or unclean. We're, all of us were loved by God before we actually loved him. And uh, we're to remember that. And it's the presence of God. There's lots of amazing stuff that happens here at the bridge during the week. There's an amazing community lunch and all kinds of other activities. But it's the love of Christ in us that actually makes us different from social services. And those things that we do for the least of our brothers and sisters, we do for Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. And that authentic love of Jesus Christ should be the, the perfume that pervades everything that we do. It should be evident in all that we do. So in the Middle East, geography and geopolitics are never very far apart. And uh, it's good to understand some of that geography and that, that geopolitics uh, around the account that we're talking about today. Caesarea, there are two Caesareas. The one that we're talking about very close by is Maritima which is on the coast. And 
as opposed to Caesarea Philippi, which is further inland. And it was the headquarters of the Roman army in Judea. This is, the, this is where the, uh, the Roman army was, where their barracks were, where their main um, headquarters was. And it was where the, the procurators would, would sit. Uh, very, very important. This was a place where Roman power was concentrated in Judea at this time. Joppa, on the other hand, is the other place that we're looking at, which is about 30 miles south of Caesarea. Uh, Jaffa is the current, the modern name for, for Joppa, which has now been incorporated into, into Tel Aviv. And the historical record for, for Joppa goes back probably 15 centuries before Christ. This was a well-established uh, port and fishing village uh, and fishing town uh, at the time. And um, it was where, those of you who, who know your Bibles, uh, you remember Jonah looking to flee from God and go to, uh, go to Tarshish. Um, the, uh, Jonah 1.3 tells us that he left from the port of Joppa. And uh, this is the place where the, the logs for the temple were floated down from Lebanon. The cedars were floated down from Lebanon to Joppa and were then taken to Jerusalem to build the temple. So this is a really important town as well. And in terms of the geopolitics, um, the Jews, of course, the land, hugely important to their whole culture, their sense of who they were, God's, God's gift to them, his chosen people. And so there they, they are. They are totally at odds, however, with the Roman way of thinking. Um, they, they look down on the, the Romans as heathens. Um, they are God's chosen people. This is God's chosen land for them. And yet... They're an occupied people. Just like France and the, the Low Countries during the Second World War invaded by uh, Germany, here they were, invaded, overtaken, completely ruled by the Romans. The Romans, the, their uh, huge history, even at this point, uh, the, the Roman Republic had actually been founded 500 years before. Now, I, I looked up, 500 years from today, what was happening in England. Henry VIII was on the throne. So just imagine we're looking back to Henry VIII, and there's been this amazing empire that covers the whole known world. How confident would we be? How confident, how arrogant are these people? And they are the experts at administrating countries that they have overrun. They've got an incredibly uh, efficient administration system. They have an incredibly efficient tax system. And all the money goes back to Rome to pay for the soldiers that are occupying them. Their cruelty is unbelievable. These are people who invented crucifixion. Not only as a way of death, but as a way of torture. So there we have these two peoples, um, the, 
the Jews and the Romans. The Jews looking down on the Romans and the Romans looking down on the Jews for different reasons. But there's a real animosity between these two people groups. The two main players uh, in our account that we're talking about today are Peter and Cornelius. Peter is an observant Jew. Um, he walked with Jesus, was one of Jesus' inner group. This is a man who has stood up before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, and given an account. Jewish law and custom at the time meant that you sought to be as pure and clean as you could possibly be. The purer you were, the closer to God you were. If you moved away from that, then you moved away from God. That was the, that was the thinking. And yet here we have Peter starting to, God starting to move Peter away from those old beliefs. And then we have Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. Roman centurions came up through the ranks. They were the best soldiers in the Roman army. These were the soldiers that were the backbone of Rome and its power. Um, these were the men who had, been, who had excelled in battle. They were extremely good at what they did. And these were the men who carried a vine branch. And they were the men who inflicted discipline, iron discipline on the troops under their control. This was a man who had seen battle and been formed in that battle. Not a man prone to fancy or foreseeing um, vague visions. But he's a man who has started, God has started to move in Cornelius. He's moved away from the Roman gods and started to move towards the one God. He started to take on board many of the Jewish customs and traditions. Three o'clock in the afternoon, which is when our story has the vision appearing to, uh, to Cornelius, that was a classic time for prayer in the Jewish tradition. So the account, and uh, the paper bags have done a lot of this for me, so I don't need to go over it again. Um, but uh, again, just to confirm, where uh, Peter is in Joppa, and he is a guest of Simon the Tanner. This tells us that Simon's job was tanning hides. He was in contact daily with dead animals. 
This would have made him ritually unclean as far as the, as far as the Jews were concerned. And yet here is Peter, this mighty man of God, the observant Jew all his life, and he's actually staying with Simon the Tanner. He's not just dropped in for a meal, he's clearly staying with Simon the Tanner in Joppa. And the story, the account tells us that it's lunchtime and Peter is, is hungry. And so he goes up onto the roof. We can imagine a, a flat roof. Perhaps we can even imagine a sunshade over the, the flat roof. And it's lunchtime, so the sun is high in the sky. So he would have needed that sunshade in order to rest. And Simon's household are making lunch. So we can imagine the aroma of lunch starting to rise up through the house. And Peter is there resting. And God shows him a vision of this sheet being lowered down. And he sees this vision three times. And as you saw with the paper bags, this sheet is full of animals of all types and, and, and shapes and sizes. And God says to Peter, take, eat, and kill. And Peter says, but nothing unclean has passed my lips. But God says, nothing is unclean that I have made. Take and eat. Go back, probably 36 hours or so, well, to three o'clock the previous day, 24 hours or so, and our account tells us about Cornelius. Cornelius is about to pray. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. And he sees a vision. This, this angel that he sees is so real that he is terrified. This is the Roman centurion that I just told you about who has stood in front of men in battle, eye to eye, with a sword, and he's been in that battle. He's been hardened in that, and yet he is frightened by the angel that he sees in front of him. This was no fleeting glimpse. This was, this was a real experience as far as he was concerned. And it's as if this angel... By the way, it, it reminds me of it, those of you who know the children's room out the back. There's a picture of an angel on the wall. And that's not quite how many of us expect to see an angel. But I guess that could have been the kind of angel that Peter, Peter saw. And so there he is. And the angel, it's as if he gives him a, a, a TNT, an Amazon um, sort of address. He says, you know, Simon the Tanner, Joppa, by the sea, boom, boom. And he tells him exactly where uh, Peter is. So, Peter, two of his servants, and a, an observant soldier, the three of them, they set off to go and fetch Peter. And they arrive at Peter's at Simon the Tanner's house to go and get Peter, 
And they open the gate, and just as they're opening the gate, Peter comes down. Because God has told him that these three men are going to be coming to get him, and he's to go with them. But clearly it's now later in the afternoon, they're 30 miles, they're not going to jump on a bus or get in the car, they've got a 30-mile journey to get back to Caesarea. So what do they do? They stay the night. So not only have you got a tanner who's unclean from Jewish custom, you have two servants who may or may not have been local people, and you have a Roman soldier now staying overnight in this, in this house. So God is showing Peter already that these old ways are not the ways of, uh, of Jesus going forward. So they, they set off the following day and they travel the journey to Caesarea. As they arrive at Peter's house, Peter gets all his family and all his, 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 uh, his household out to greet Peter. And I was drawn to the way in which the centurion actually receives Peter. And in my NIV <coughs> version of, uh, in, of the Bible, it says it uses the words in reverence. I don't know about you, but I quite like to, to look at different translations and see the different words that, that, they, that are used. In the NLT, it says worshipped. Ben's favourite, the, the, the New King James, says worshipped. Um, and my Strong's compendium um, only works with the, with the King James. So, so I had to go to the King James at that point. Um, and the King James actually says worshipped. But my Strong's says of that word in the Greek that is used at that point, to fawn or crouch, literally or figuratively, to prostrate oneself in homage, to do reverence, to adore, worship. So that's the sense of the Greek word that's used at that point. How amazing is that? This is a seminal moment in, in Christianity. This is a seminal moment in history that we're talking about here. We shouldn't underestimate this. We shouldn't just fly by. This Roman centurion, who epitomized the might of Rome, who epitomized the occupational forces in Judea, is prostrating himself at the feet of a Jew. He's prostrating himself at the feet of a conquered people who by rights he should have no respect for whatsoever. In Judea at that time, everybody would have known exactly where they were in society. Roman citizens were at the top. The Jews were somewhere near the bottom. Probably a little above slaves, I suspect. Um, so here you have this person who's near the top of that pecking order prostrating himself at the feet of this uh, of Peter Peter goes on to share the gospel with 
Cornelius and his whole household. The Holy Spirit falls upon... It, it doesn't make any distinction. It says the Holy Spirit fell upon everybody. Not some, but the Holy Spirit fell. And so straight away, why, why shouldn't these people be baptised? And then the, the apostles and the, the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem, they hear that this has happened. And they're, they're aghast. Um, how can you, Peter, stay in the house of somebody who is unclean? And Acts 11.17 says, So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Acts 11.18 then goes on to say, When they, that's the apostles, heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This seminal moment was the reason we allowed the floodgates to open for people who weren't Jews to accept the gospel and to be recognized in the community of believers. One of the things I, I have the, the great pleasure of doing is to chair a charity called The Trusted Executive. And uh, I'm hugely privileged to be able to support a charity in Scotland called um, the Bethany Christian Trust. And they insist on Bethany Christian Trust, not BCT or anything else, because they are absolutely sold out for God. And... I've got the privilege in a, a week or so's time of going up to Glasgow to be part of one of the projects that, they're, uh, that we're helping to fund, that they're, they're leading. So in this video clip that Chris is going to, to run for us, don't get too tied up with the details, but hear the heart. And I'm just going to close the curtains, Chris, before you run it. Hear the heart uh, of, the, of what's, being, uh, what's being shared. treated badly all your life. Being treated well makes a big difference. They're not folk to be just ignored and walked past. These are folk to be treasured and treated really, really well. I'm so excited to be part of the care shelter. I absolutely love it. It's wonderful to see so many different volunteers from different churches mobilizing around wanting to put love into action and seeing people's lives transformed. In my time working with Bethany, right from the offerly, my eyes have been open just to the reality of each person having value before God, that their worth is actually unfathomable. 
Well, I've, I've spent the last three winters in the care shelter, and if I hadn't have been care shelter, I'd have been sleeping rough. Because I've slept there, uh, I was coming up three years that I've been on the street, and I've slept every summer outside, and the shelter's been a great thing, it really has. Between both the service users and the staff that uh, are here, there's a, a sense of inclusion that you can look around and all of a sudden you realise, well, I'm not in this situation by myself. So, yeah, a sense of inclusion and friendliness more than anything. At least when you're out the cold, you're out the cold, plus you've got security over your head, you can nobody's going to come and assault you and all that when you're in here. That's a good thing about it, security. In all circumstances, each person has to be treated afresh and, and supported afresh and shown love that doesn't judge them afresh. So behind each story there's so many different facets and so many different range of needs. They've been labelled all their life that they'll never amount to nothing. But we want to encourage guys constantly in here that that's not the case, that they're loved. because we've been loved by God first and we want to pass that love on. That is really what distinguishes us from other places. It's the presence of God and people coming to real love. That which we do for the least of these brothers and sisters of Christ, we're actually doing to Him. It is such an amazing thing to be able to show people that love they really need. All we do is to show the love of Christ. That's all what we're doing. Thanks, Chris. All that we're doing is showing the love of Christ. That's all we're doing. What we're called to do as SCF, what we're called to do as individuals, will be different. And we're not all called to look after the homeless. We're not all called to look after prisoners. But in whatever God calls us to do, we can make a difference in people's lives by showing the love of Christ. And one of the amazing things for me about that video is here are people who in today's society are regarded as worthless, who are at the bottom of the heap, just like in our account that we've just heard about Peter and Cornelius just as the Jews were at the bottom of the heap. These people sleeping on the street are regarded in society today as being at the bottom of the heap. Many of the people I've met at Bethany Christian Trust are highly educated, highly intelligent people who've made a choice. They could have been at the top of the heap but they have chosen to reach down and to hold somebody's hand and show the love of Christ.
That's their, uh, that's their strap line, by the way. Ending homelessness in Scotland one person at a time. It's the seagulls on the beach, isn't it? Just looking after one at a time. One at a time. Just, as my mate Gus would say, focus on the wheel, you know. <laughs> one metre at a time on the front wheel. Just keep going forward, keep pedalling. So in summary, we're all loved by God first. Even before we had a need for him, he loved us. He's loved us from the very beginning. And it's the presence of God in who we are and what we do that distinguishes from other people. It's what distinguishes the community lunch, the bereavement service, love, acceptance and healing. All of those things that we do during the week, the breastfeeding cafe, it's what distinguishes us from social services. Those things that we're doing for our brothers and sisters, for the least of our brothers and sisters we're doing for Jesus, we're called to go out of our way so that everyone regardless of who they are, regardless of how we come across them, experiences that authentic love of Christ. We can only do that by walking upon that road of prayer that Ben talked about at the head of the meeting. So some questions for us to ponder. And uh, home group leaders, uh, these will be on the website. Um, so um, I just encourage you, uh, to, uh, to have a look at these questions in your groups. What prejudices are we locked into? Who might we regard as unclean, as untouchable, as beyond the pale? Who are those people that we have trouble relating to? What thought patterns and habits have we got that are acting as a barrier to stopping us to really show the love of Christ? And what does each of us need to do to break down those walls that are, that are there in our lives? As I say, I was struck by how this was, this account of Peter and Cornelius was a seminal moment in the history of Christianity. As we were praying outside this morning, I was struck again by the seminal moment that we, as the people here at SCF, are at. We're about to enter into a new era within our church. Let's break down those barriers. Let's reach out with the love of Christ to those who God puts across our path. And uh, ministry team will be, will be here uh, at the end. And uh, if, you've, if God's just put something on your heart this morning, of, oh, one of those ouch moments where you go, ouch, that's one of those areas that's a blockage for me, then the ministry team will be here to pray, to pray with you. Um, so I'm going to hand back to Anne.